time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome to the podcast. JT? How are you, sir? Good, good. Doc? JB, I am just couldn't be better. Wow. Couldn't be better. <laughs> wow. It's good times. Good times. Really good times. You must have had uh, quite the weekend. You know what? It's um, It's been great. I mean, my kids are back from, are, are around this summer and uh, it's, you know, it's uh, it's a nice time of the year. Great. And uh, JT, I read on Twitter, you just had dim sum. <laughs> Did I put that on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> he has no idea what Twitter is. Uh, I, no, I was uh, I was commenting earlier off air that I'm I'm still full from my dim sum of like eight hours ago. Was just a lot of shumai. Oh my! Oh my! He was also giving. He was also <laughs> JT was also giving GB a little primer on the on the Twitter uh, Twitterology, which is so, uh, which is an excellent time to share with everyone that they can tweet us. There you go. At two men in a doc. If you have a question, go ahead, shoot it out. GB will get to it. Weeks later. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we look at it. So please, go ahead. Send us your comments and your questions. So I think what we should talk about today is really the third part, the last installment of our discussion on ED. Yes. And I think where we left off was um, current, current treatments and, and, and diagnoses and cutting-edge kind of stuff, if I recall correctly. Yeah, we hit the medication, right, Doc? We were talking about the next, the next stuff. We did. And we, one, one thing that we kind of skipped over was the, the diagnostics, which is kind of interesting, and it's kind of gone in and out of favor. Um, when I was in my years of uh, training, this was back in the 90s, and Viagra had really started to just explode. Uh, onto the uh, onto the scene, uh, no pun intended. There, <laughs> um, the the a lot of a lot of um, pract- practicing urologists and even the academic urologists were kind of backing off the diagnostics because they were feeling like you know what it doesn't matter what the cause is we're going to put you on Viagra. So whether it's psychological or whether it's a, a vascular problem like we talked about in the prior episodes or a neurological problem, uh, whatever it is, um, go for Viagra. And and to some extent, that's still true, but I think um, people do want to understand what the cause is now. I have a question about that. Do you think Viagra has helped marriage or hindered marriage? What do you think? I, I turn to you as the expert. I, I'm just a urologist. That would take a, a psychological <laughs> uh, evaluation that uh, I couldn't really tell J- you. JT, any thoughts on that? I think it probably went both ways. Yeah, you I know? think it probably depends on the marriage. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, people's sex lives sometimes keeps them together, and sometimes it can break them apart. So, or or yes, or sometimes if there's no sex lives, that can keep people together too. I, I would say I would say you're both right, and it, it's it it is one of those things where some patients will say their wife will be there and she'll be like, "Can you give him some Viagra, please?" And then it'll be the other way around, where yeah. she will say like. Please don't give him Viagra. <laughs> it could be either one. So, so you've seen that in your practice, then? Yes, both sides. Oh, interesting. Both, you know, I mean, in in equal measures. 
I don't know about that, but it also, you know, it also depends on whether the the partner or the wife or the whatever it could be a male partner, but it depends on whether they're present um, and, um, you know, who's driving the conversation. So I think all of those things matter. But anyway, getting back to the diagnostics, I think it's it's kind of coming back in a little bit. And I was just going to give you a little history because I was I was remembering that. Um, you know, when before they had the the Viagra, the oral medications, there was more interest in really um, understanding the mechanisms of the loss of of function. And one basic question that people, that doctors, urologists are thinking about is, you know, is this really a physiological problem or is this more of like a psychological problem? And sometimes people can't say. You know, people aren't really sure if they're having more of a psychological problem with their erectile function. And so one way to determine that is that we know nighttime or nocturnal tumescence, which is Excuse me. Tumescence is the is the uh, is the engorgement of the penis, if you will. Tumescence. To the filling up of the penis, which in which some people will distinguish for, uh, well, from I've, rigidity. I've heard about this like a test where you put a piece of paper right. or something like right. that? Right, so there's is an that, old... Is that a real thing? Okay, so that's the old-fashioned, like... <laughs> it's gotta be This old is fashioned. before technology came in. They would call it the postage stamp test. Yeah. Which literally, yeah. I don't even think we can do... That was pretty good that you pulled that how, out of your hat. Jay, how too. did you know that? Yeah, I, I, I heard about this a while ago. I'm amazed that you pulled that out. I've I told really you before... Have. How old is your, um, how old is your uh, physician? I've told you before, I'm... Go two miles <laughs> wide and an inch deep. <laughs> this falls within that parameter. All right, so so Tumescence. Imagine, if you will, because most people, some of the people listening to this probably have, don't even barely know what a postage stamp roll looks like. A roll of a postage stamp, oh, right? A roll, okay. a roll, right? So they're yeah. all lined up, this but they have those. The, they have uh, those little perforations that hold them together, and you wrap that around the penis, and you go to bed. So this this thing costs you like seventy five cents. It could it could cost you. <laughs> you go to sleep. Hold on. Do you, do you wrap? It? Hold on. GB is is really visualizing this, folks. So I ride bikes. So do you wrap it like like on a handlebar, where it overlaps? Yep. It, okay. Except that the handlebar is your penis. Does insurance cover the cost of the stamp? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so you wrap it. Uh, I don't think so. You wrap the um, stamps around and and stick them. You know, stick it. You, what, know, you when lick and stick. You, you do have to lick it. <laughs> you lick and stick because you got it to hold there. And then you go to sleep. And if you wake up in the morning, what if you have to go? What if you have to go uh, pee? Okay, you let's, can go pee. Let's not overanalyze this. <laughs> <laughs> if you wake up in the morning and there's been a breakage in the stamp then you know you had a nighttime erection. How do you know if your wife didn't need to send a letter? You, you <laughs> sleep by yourself. The cable bill is due. <laughs> so, it, so if it's broken, then you know you had a nighttime erection. That means you're having nocturnal tumescence. Therefore, it's psychological. So that was an old-fashioned test. That has been replaced by the good old Rigiscan. Rigiscan. Mm. Yeah, Rigiscan. Rigiscan is where you take these little, um, There's there are these little loops. One goes around the base of the penis, and one goes around just below the head of the penis, and it goes to this little machine, and you go to sleep, and this machine is not only measuring whether you are having an erection, because it can sense, there's like sensors on these loops that sense whether there's a um, um, tumescence, which is filling, engorgement, but there's also a way, and I won't get into the 
details because it's too technical, that it can actually determine if there's rigidity, which is different. You know, you can have a fullness that's not rigid. And so it's kind of a, a remarkable little device. Um, honestly, you know, through most of my career, I haven't used a rigid rigid scan in practice on my patients, of course. Um, but, but personally, you use it. I have not. No. But but um, you know, I'm starting to see it again in you know certain situations where I review cases. I've I've been expert witness on some cases, and they're starting to look at it again. But I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Can, yeah. can you explain? why uh, you would be an expert witness related to I've had, an erection? I've had people get into, lawyers consult me because the client has gotten into a car accident and claims they have erectile dysfunction as a result of the accident. Anyway, getting back to diagnostics. I thought it might have been a paternity no, issue. No. Getting back to diagnostics, um, probably the most common diagnostic in practice and, and one that I perform is what we call um, duplex, penile duplex Doppler studies. You want to repeat that? Penile duplex Doppler studies. <laughs> now you're studies. prompting him. <laughs> <laughs> um, penile duplex Doppler studies is basically, we talked about, I think in a couple of episodes previously, that there are drugs that you can actually inject into the penis. It sounds really horrifying and some people might get lightheaded when they hear that but it's the teeniest needle and it's the teeniest pinch it generally is not that painful um, to put this teeny tiny needle and inject uh, literally like a few drops of a drug mm. that will actually cause you to have an erection within like five minutes and in the office we'll give you that injection and we'll have an ultrasound machine the same thing that they do to I, anything from looking at babies, you know, in the uterus to measuring blood flow, going in the carotid arteries up to your brain and measuring how fast the blood's flowing. We can put the same type of probe on the penis and measure blood flow going into the penis. Can you get a blood clot in your penis? We don't see that. We generally don't see that. Okay. Um, and um, so in any event, you measuring the the blood flow into the penis, and you're also measuring something called venous leak um, because what you're really wanting to see is when the blood goes in there, does it get, does it leak right back out through the veins or do the veins are something called the emissary veins that, that get compressed against the inner wall of the penis. If you think of the penis as a cylinder, there are these veins that line the inner surface of that cylinder. And when the blood's coming in, it should compress those emissary veins so that the blood won't leak out. Mm. But some people have a problem where those, those will not get, those veins will get compressed and they'll get venous leak. Who's the emissary of this podcast? Uh, that would be you. <laughs> I think it, I think it's JT. All right. All, All right. right. I just I remember dating Venus Leak in high school. <laughs> she was lovely. <laughs> I hope not. Um, anyway, that's and and sometimes people might ex say that well that might be what's going on when I get an erection but then I lose it very quickly. It could be Venus Leak. I mean that's not that's not super accurate in terms of saying that's the diagnosis, but it would it would be a confirmatory is to get, you know, this test done and to see that actually they do have venous leak. So that's a, that's a common um, type of diagnostic test that we use. In any event, um, at the end of the day, uh, we talked about, you know, oral medications like, you know, Viagra, Cialis, Stendra, all these new drugs on the market. Um, we talked about um, injectable agents. And what we didn't really get to was literally the most common surgical approach, 
which is the inflatable penile prosthesis. Mm. Yes. It's like those sneakers that you used to pump up. Remember? That's it. That on the on the tongue of the sneaker, yeah. right? Can you buy that on eBay? <laughs> you can die, you can you can ask Nike for the little pump, and we'll use that if really if you want me to. No, seriously, um, it's a it's a it, they call it a three piece component. Most of them are three pieces, and what it is is you've got the um, if you think about the anatomy of the penis, you're thinking that you've got these two cylindrical bodies that course down the length of your penis, okay? Those are called the corpora cavernosa. We've and talked about that. Because that's when we talked about reattachment. Those are the two very important things to reconnect, right? The, uh, if Oh, if you were having like a severed penis yeah. or something? Yeah, that came up and during Correct. that conversation. It did come up. So these corpora cavernosa, what we do is we, we basically insert inside those corpora cavernosa these silastic tubes, and they're very soft and flimsy, but they can fill up and become rigid. How do they fill up and become rigid? I'm getting stiff just hearing this conversation. Oh, that's too much information for us. <laughs> Way my too body, much. my body is, is turning blue right now, folks. Um, in any event, <laughs> you, you, we, we surgically we make a small little. The incision to put these in is actually tiny. It's about less than an inch, and it's right where the penis, what we call the penoscrotal junction, where the scrotum and the penis meet. Penoscrotal right, junction. Right. We make a little incision on the scrotal side. Like, Take a left. Yeah, meet yep. me. <laughs> right? <laughs> the penoscrotal junction. We make a little incision on the scrotal side of that junction, maybe uh, an inch wide. Um, and um, and then we can find those. Is that is that on the top penis or well, is that on the bottom of the penis well, the, well you so can't it's, it's on the bottom cool. it's also there on the go. sides there right? you go you've already there gotten go. lost okay. <laughs> scrotal junction it's on the bottom it's, it's the on bottom. the bottom yeah. we're never gonna so, find you so you make that incision with careful attention and not you know the first structure you would actually come into in the midline would be the urethra we don't want to cut into that urethra so once we make our incision we sort of aim towards the right with our dissection and to the left but not in the midline because the those corporal bodies are yeah. to the right and to the left so it's a little thing goes in there and you're about to tell us is it air is it a right. fluid of some right. sort so it's saline saline and so what happens is is those little silastic tubes go in there and then we put a little pump inside your scrotum okay oh, it doesn't go in your pocket it goes in your scrotum and so it almost feels like you have a, a very small third testicle it feels um maybe like a like a little larger than a cherry is there an app i can use to, <laughs> like my that would be mo then you need to get it motorized <laughs> wait so this so you got up a, and then there's a reservoir right because where does the saline come from it comes from a little balloon that we call a reservoir that's probably the size of a one of those cutie oranges okay so it's like a mm -hmm. mini orange in terms of di you know the volume of this thing and that we actually have to put in your abdomen and we can actually it's a sneaky way that we can do it from the scrotum. We can actually hmm. put it into your abdomen from the scrotum. We don't have to make a separate incision. You know, I can already tell that for people that are having this problem, this is probably a miracle for them because it's not a drug. It's not an hour-long wait, and it's something that probably works. It's, it, you it, said really it's super amazing, common, right? What's really amazing is when you look at the, um, the surveys of satisfaction on people who use medication like Viagra, oral medication, whether it's Cialis, Viagra, whatever, or the injectable agents, or the implants, right? And you ask them, how satisfied are you with the treatment? Every time they do these studies, 
Guess mm. what? Yeah. The, the inflatable penile prosthesis comes out okay. at the top. It sounds it's like 95 percent satisfaction. I have two questions. Ninety five percent satisfaction. I have two questions. The first question is, how do you refill the saline? I thought you were going to ask how many pumps does it take. Well, that's a second. Well, it question. just circulates, okay. but, but, I assume. But how, how do you? It so remember, circulates? I told yeah. Remember, I told you it's in this reservoir that's right. the size of a small orange the, that's in your abdomen, and when you pump that pump in your scrotum, it takes that fluid from the reservoir, puts it into those silastic tubes, gives you an erection with like five pumps, and then when you're done, there's another part on the pump that you can feel, and it's like the release valve. You press on it. And then the fluid goes, right, goes back right back into back, the yeah. reservoir. I so see. it's okay. the same and so, saline. And then the second part of the question was the pump and where you blow it up. And that's the third, what you said, like the third Component. testicle. Right. And so right in the scrotum and you just squeeze it. Mm-hmm. Like hopefully the, you like won't. Hopefully you'll, you'll, squeeze, you'll squeeze the right, the right one. Yeah. You'll squeeze the right one. <laughs> no, it's very obvious. It's actually yeah. extremely obvious. And do, you ha- and do most people have their partner do that? Or... Ha- is, is there... I would say generally it, it, I don't know, but I think I'm 99% sure generally it's, it's the patient that's yeah. doing it to himself. I see. And is there a protocol that you do it in front of the partner or you do it before the partner? <laughs> How is he supposed His... to know these things? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's etiquette. I mean, right? in med school, that was where the class ended. That's right. That's <laughs> right. There. That's right. They said next chapter. Right. Um, so you said this is pretty common for you. You're doing roughly... Any idea how many you do these a year? Yeah, I probably. I mean, in my it's it's commonly done in in general urology, but it varies from one but practice is, to the yeah. next. I would okay. say maybe like twelve. But is this the one la- a month? That's a common number in my world. Is this the last resort? But there, by the way, there are some guys like the there are guy there are urologists. I shouldn't say guys; it could be a male or a female urologist. But there are some urologists who just specialize in this, and mm. so they literally do you know, a couple of hundred a year. Wow. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. That's all they do is just these insertion of peanut prosthesis, but, uh, inflatable peanut prosthesis. But what I was going to say, which is kind of will be interesting to your listeners is that one of the nice thing, one of the nice fringe benefits of having an inflatable peanut prosthesis is you can keep it erect for as long as you like. Hmm. So you have your, and by the way, you have all your sensation and you can have an orgasm. And when you're done and your partner may not have had their pleasure, you can keep it erect, which is actually very nice for some people. And a lot of people who have these things, they'll say like, that's one of the best fringe benefits is that I can keep my penis erect. Clear your calendar, GB. You've got an appointment <laughs> tonight. <laughs> is, this, is this the uh, procedure of last resort? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much it is. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, we would, um, you know, we would try everything else we could before we would resort to doing this. And in those diagnostics you were talking about, you're you're ruling out any number of things to get to the point where you've, you know, if it's psychological, if it's like right. the other things, if they're having some action at night that they weren't aware of, then it's not physiological, right? Right. And so then you would say, hey, we need to, you know, see if there's something going on with you. Uh, you know or, what I've been or, hearing? Or, hey, I'll, I'll I recommend a really, divorce. Well, I'll tell you what's really becoming, even in younger people, um, kind of a problem and and something that's coming up in in I mean this wouldn't necessarily be something you'd have to pick up with the nighttime erections but the porn thing has become so ubiquitous mm. like people can access it so easily and young people so we're talking who are just becoming sexually active it's so accessible for them 
Well, let's... And so what happens is that they're watching so much of that that when the real event comes about, it's not like what they watched in mm -hmm. that movie. Oh. And so they, they, they actually have hard, a hard time getting an erection. I mean, do, certainly... do you have any websites that you can recommend for our listeners? Mm, as far as porn? I was going to ask you about that because <laughs> you've told me so many that you've enjoyed. J JT. <laughs> Dr. Hyman, LA.com. <laughs> two men and a duck. No, so um, that's a, it's super interesting because you certainly read lots of anecdotal talk about the desensit desensitization yeah. of, of uh, pornography and how much it's changed. I mean, it used to be you'd maybe find a magazine to peek at, but right. now it's obviously so ubiquitous. But that actually gets to your practice and you're seeing the results in that case? I wouldn't say I'm seeing a ton of that, but occasionally, yes, occasionally. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there, you know, in my virtual Rolodex, if you will, are sex therapists that I'll refer to and I'll say, you know, you need to see somebody and they'll have like a program for them to help them either desensitize or whatever they got to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a real thing, sex therapy and, and somebody who's got more of a psychological issue with regards to having erectile dysfunction with their partner. And you know, a lot of these things, the other tip to, that I'll point out there is that if this is occurring with a partner, um, there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that if you can have the both, you know, both partners come in, uh, whether mm. it's a male and female, male and male, whatever, um, and both of them are going through the therapy together, it, it's a tremendous yep. advantage. Interesting. So there's been um, a lot of research and development um, to aid the male with, with his impotence. What, what, what is going on with respect to medicines and therapies to aid in the female sex drive? Well, I mean, we will need to bring in a, we, we've already been talking about bringing in a guest for that topic, but I mean, it's, it's a whole entire universe of, of medicine, sexual medicine, female sexual medicine, uh, when it comes to arousal disorders um, and everything from, you know, their ability to, uh, to have, you know, the sensory experience, uh, you know, lubrication and all that stuff. Um, and, and their interest and, and libido and all of these things, um, they've really started to try to break it up and, and, and have a much better understanding of it. Um, it's everything from, you know, hormone to neurological to similar ideas as, as, as on the male side, not so much uh, a vascular problem, though. Um, it's more uh, primarily neurochemical and, and, and hormonal. hormonal. Yeah. 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 And, and they've, you know, it's, it's a clever you know, easy phrase, the female Viagra um, that they've talked about, but specifically Viagra itself. Never really bore out. I mean, those studies, they were all excited for a while about, you know, Viagra being something that, you know, women could take, that it would increase blood flow, increase blood flow. Uh, yeah. down there. It didn't really help. There, there are some um, newer drugs, um, something called uh, flabanserin or ADDI, which I think it's spelled A-D-D-Y-I, that work on uh, neurally, uh, you know, in the brain um, hmm. for women. And it's FDA approved for it, but it is controversial. Some people, you know, when I say people, I mean practitioners feel like the data is not exactly solid for it. But then again, there are a lot of women who use it that really find that it's helpful. Um, it's expensive. It's not covered by insurance. So there's all those problems. Um, but again, um, we can certainly devote a, an episode to uh, discussing these female sexual dysfunction disorders. And, and I think in a 
I forget if it was part one or part two. Apologies. Um, we you talked a little bit about supplements. It seemed like you felt there was not a lot of credence, um, you know, in a Seven Eleven, um, you know, testosterone or a, or booster, a, a or gas something station like that. impulse yeah. buy, right? Yeah. Um, is there anything in the vitamin world, in the dietary um, world, that has shown to have you know any type of result? And maybe it's just someone who's healthier is going to be you know, have less issues. I don't, I don't know. So it's, this stuff is usually pretty hard to, to prove out, but it is. And, and, and it's one of these things on the one hand, it's, you know, I will tell you that there really isn't anything in the, um, standard medical research world, clinical research world, where you have reputable institute, reputable institutions that are doing these trials, whether it's looking at, you know, certain types of supplements or vitamins or herbals, and whether there is some kind of correlate with them, um, you know, leading to a rise in your testosterone level, whether it's your free testosterone or total or bound, all of these considerations, nothing in the sort of standard uh, medical literature has supported it. On the other hand, what we also have talked about is that, you know, we're also kind of a little bit at the frontier of and, and, you know, the medical establishment is becoming very, um, you know, inefficient. Um, it, it's not becoming, it always has been. You know, to get a study, it takes an enormous amount of dollars and organization and, you know, FDA approval for trials. And there's all kinds of regulatory uh, hurdles. And I think what's happened is, is that because we now have things like the internet and YouTube and all these abilities to share information, people are not going to sit around and wait for that Mm. stuff to come out because it takes a decade. So they're all just, you know, CBD, supplements, herbals, whatever it is, well, that's they're the going to try it. They're going to try it on their own. Let me, general, let me ask right? a question about this. And, you know, obviously this, uh, this won't be a statistical study, but take two males, same age. One is in shape and active and another one is not healthy and overweight and, and doesn't do any exercise. Potentially, do you see a difference when it when it comes to erectile function between those two specimens? Substantially, but that's not. We're not talking about supplements or anything but like that's that. That's still physiological, that's, right? That's but, but, absolutely. I mean, for sure, exercise, increasing cardiovascular health, and any of these supplements. There's indirect. There's indirect uh, effects. So, like a diet that's going to be pro cardiovascular health. It's going to, you know, help maintain good blood flow and things like that. And some of these things we'll talk about like an anti-inflammatory, you know, uh, you know, high fiber diet, which promotes, you know, good eating and, and good health could potentially make a difference or a low cholesterol, right? Low cholesterol that would be, too. you know, that but, would be even more relevant. So we, it's like we, if you're, if you're somebody who's walking around with a really high cholesterol level, or you're somebody who walks around with really high blood sugars, because you're you're just having your glycemic load. You're just eating tons of concentrated sweets, so you have really high blood sugars all the time. You're high cholesterol all the time. You know a lot of fatty foods. That's all going to harm your vascular health. So, your blood vessels are going to get thickened. That's all going to have a negative impact so on your erection. We, we've talked in the past on a on on a couple of shows that because I kept bringing up weight and, and, and you dismissed it, or I thought you dismissed it, but you seem to be indicating that weight could have a bearing because 
as weight could have a bearing as to your cholesterol levels if you're not eating the right foods. No, weight um, absolutely does oh, have a bearing. Oh, absolutely. so it does. And we talked okay. about how like fatty tissue has aromatase, which converts testosterone to estrogen. I think we talked about this. And estrogen is going to inhibit feedback and inhibit your testosterone. So if you're a heavy set person, that's where you get the man boobs yeah, yeah. because they're producing estrogen. So, like, so those thought, are definitely big inhibitors so, so when, of sexual function. So let me ask you a question. So when somebody comes in and, and the guy is heavy set, I absolutely talk Possibly about their weight. overweight. Yeah. Do you, do you encourage the diet before the prescription or do you do it in I, conjunction? All together. But I tell them, look, if you just want to improve with the most natural method possible, lose weight and engage in cardiovascular exercise activity, and you might see a very rapid improvement in your erections without any drugs at all. Right. That's, okay. that's free advice for you right wow. there. Wow, I yeah. think it's time for the three of us to go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> good call, very good call. All right, that is three. our first three-part episode, and we covered a lot of ground. So I think that was super uh, useful, or at least I hope it was, and certainly illuminating. Thanks, yeah. Doc. Yeah, and it also sounds like you're going to get the most out of these podcasts uh, by doing exercise while listening to these podcasts. That's a great idea. That's a very good idea. We should, we should, you guys should all be on your, uh, your ellipticals or your uh, treadmills or your, your stationary soft, and your soft or, bike seat, like we talked about. In the oh, that's right. The split saddle. <laughs> yes. Split saddle. Right. Got to protect those those penile arteries. Yeah. All right. Comes full circle. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience. But if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.